Well, I am excited to jump into the book of John with you here today. If you haven't already, I'd invite you to turn in a Bible to John chapter 1, where we will discover the book of John as penned or authored, at least a human author uh, in John, as directed by God uh, in the writing of this account of Jesus' life. John, he uh, would have been one of the original 12 disciples. And out of those 12 disciples, uh, you could say there was like an inner three, Peter, James, and John. And of those three, uh, John is argued to have been the closest to Jesus. Uh, we see this, you could say, evidenced really in John's own following of Jesus right till the end. That at Jesus' betrayal, John was the only disciple to not betray Jesus. And then from there, going into the next day, John was the disciple that Jesus asked to care for his very own mother upon his death. John, he uh, also was the disciple that ended up living the longest. You could say that John attended the funerals of all the disciples that went before him. He was the last disciple standing, and at the writing of his gospel, he would have been an old man. And he would have um, been really the ultimate authority on earth for what it meant to follow Jesus. You know, John, his gospel is one of four gospels, four biographical accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's understood that Matthew, Mark, and Luke would have already been written, and John would have been aware of those three accounts when writing his account, the fourth account, his eyewitness account of Jesus' life and ministry. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're considered uh, by theologians as what they would call the synoptic gospel. Synoptic meaning same or similar, where we find that 60% of their content is really more or less the same, while 90% of John's gospel is completely unique to John, which means there's a lot about Jesus we would not know had John not written it. And even with that, John, as uh, he writes about these stories and writes about Jesus and his life and ministry, says he doesn't even cover every story. In fact, he says it this way, in the very last verse, the very last chapter of his gospel, he says, if every one of them, every story would have been written down, he says, I suppose not even the whole world would have enough room, have enough space for the books that would be written. Augustine. Uh, viewed uh, by many as the premier, the most important of the early church fathers. He says this of John's gospel. He says, John's gospel is deep enough for an elephant to swim, yet shallow enough for a child not to drown. Meaning that no matter where you're at, in this Christian journey of maybe you're new to trying to discover what the Christian story is all about, or maybe you've been around for some time, whether you're new or not new, John has a lot to show us about Jesus. Uh, he has a lot to show you and to me, no matter where uh, we are at in that journey. Martin Luther, uh, the great church reformer of the 16th century stated, should a tyrant succeed in destroying the Holy Scriptures, and, and only a single copy of the Epistle of Romans and the Gospel of John were to survive, were to escape him, Luther says, well, then Christianity would be saved. Essentially, Luther suggests, uh, with the whole Bible, if we could have Romans and John, we would make it. And it's kind of a squeamish thought, the idea that something like that would happen, but we get the point. We get the point of what Augustine and Luther are saying. Essentially, there's a lot 
for all of us to grow in, to get deeper in, and really a lot in John that's accessible to us all. But what about John? You know, we understand what Augustine and Luther said, but what does John say uh, about the reason in which he wrote this account, given that we already have Matthew, Mark, and Luke? What is his goal? What is his purpose? Why ultimately did John write this gospel for you and for me and for all the world? He says it this way in John 20, 31. He says, these things are written. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. And so essentially, two reasons. That you would believe in Jesus and that you would have life in Jesus. John 20, 31 summed up says, this is written so that you may believe and live. That's why we're doing this. That's why John did this for us and that's why we're diving in. For the next eight weeks as we journey through the Gospel of John, we are going to believe and live. We're gonna believe and live. We are here to believe in Jesus and the life he gives us so that we can then live the life he is leading us to live. And so we jump in, John chapter one, verse one. To, and really, John wastes no time, you know, he's getting old, he doesn't want to beat around the bush, he just jumps right to it as to what it is we need to believe so that we can then live it out. John chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Now, the Word here is Jesus, and we'll spend some time with that in a moment, but the Word I want to focus in on here is the word beginning beginning, that Jesus was there in the beginning. And these first three words, these are important words in John's gospel, uh, this in the beginning, because what he is doing is he is re-upping what the beginning is all about by doing a callback to the very first chapter, the very first verse of the entire Bible, Genesis 1-1, where it says, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That in the beginning, that before there was a beginning, was the beginner. Uh, that before creation was the creator, was Jesus. That before God, before Jesus created the heavens and the earth, there was God. That's, those are the most important words in Genesis 1-1. Those first three words, but even more so, that fourth word. That in the beginning, it says God. Like period. In the beginning, God. It's all about God. And then God created, and then Jesus created the heavens and the earth. Now, quick time out, kind of like a FAQ moment, a frequently asked question. How is it, as we read both Genesis 1 and John 1, how is it that God or Jesus, uh, or we could say, was it God or Jesus who created the heavens and the earth? Was it God or Jesus who created all things? Well, keep reading with me, John chapter one, verse one. As it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word was with God, and the word was God. Okay, I know Augustine said that, you know, this book is supposed to be deep enough for an elephant to swim. And I don't know about you, but it's like my trunk is starting to go under a, a little bit here. Um, and so what, what's going on? So the word, again, being Jesus, the word being Jesus was with God. And the word, meaning Jesus, was also God. So we've got Jesus is 
with God and Jesus is God. And so how is this, how does this work? Well, we understand from the totality of scriptures and from John 1 alone that Jesus is like the Father, like the Holy Spirit, in that he is also God. We refer to this uh, as the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Spirit. All of this is God. All of him is God. And then in the beginning, it says, was Jesus, and God, the Word, was Jesus. Okay, so this is, this is what bothers me, I guess. I've probably asked this a thousand times about the book of John. If the Word is Jesus and Jesus is God, why did John not just simplify this to make these waters a little more shallow or could at least like touch my toes in trying to understand what he's getting at? Why didn't he just say in verse one, hey, in the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. Like, how much more helpful would that have been? Uh, why did he have to kind of do this word thing? In the beginning was not Jesus, well, it was Jesus, but the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Why did he do that? Well, know this, that if he did this, if it's there, it's there for a reason. It's there because it is significant. Uh, and so that's the word I want to focus on next. The word the word, uh, that this word in Greek, uh, where it says the word would have, which the New Testament was written in, um, originally in Greek, uh, this word for the word in Greek was the word logos, logos. And a Greek reader, a Gentile reader, a non-Jewish uh, kind of Roman empire times, when they would have seen that word logos, the word, they understood in their culture, in their context, that the logos, the word, and apart from Jesus, they use that word, um, you could say, to sum up, to pull together the idea that every important or any important philosophy or thought uh, that in the logos, it was all held together in the highest esteem, that the logos in their time, the word was this idea of ultimate authority where it brought together ultimate understanding and the ultimate expression of a relationship between a thought and an idea. And so you could say logos is the place where belief and the verbal expression of that belief come together. It's where it comes together in a word and that word is logos. And so now this is for a Gentile non-Jewish audience. Those you might say, like maybe many of us are new to faith, new to exploring the Christian journey. Uh, this idea of uh, there's only one God, one true God of the Bible. And so John is saying to that audience, he's saying to the current secular culture of the time, he says, hey, you wanna know God? You want to know who God is? Then know Jesus is God. Jesus is the Logos. He is the ultimate authority. He is the word. He is the highest authority in heaven and on earth. And in the beginning was the Logos. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was Jesus. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the Logos. He is above all, in all, created all, and through all, as it says later in Colossians 1. And so Jesus is it. And that is the audience that you could say John is writing to. 
but he's also writing to uh, an audience who's not new in what he's writing. He's writing uh, in this idea of the word for a Jewish audience, those who you could say would have grown up reading the scriptures for a lifetime, who would have grown up with what we now call the Old Testament. That prior to Jesus, prior to the Gospel of John, he knew the power. The Jewish people, God's people, the Old Testament, they knew the power of God's word, of God's words. That as we go back to that Genesis 1-1 understanding, Genesis 1, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. Do you remember, do you recall if you're familiar with the creation story, how it is that God chose to bring creation into being? Well, we see that he did it with a word. Genesis 1-3, it says, and God said. God said. God said, let there be light. God said, let the space he created be separated by, at the time, sky and water. God said, let the waters be gathered to spaces and let dry ground appear. God said, let there be vegetation and seed-bearing plants and trees that bear fruit. And God said, let there be a light in the sky that governs the day and then a lesser light that governs the night. God said, God said, and then God said, mankind, mankind in our image, God said, in the image of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God said, and God said, and God said, it's God's word, it's God's word, it's God's word that before the beginning and in the beginning, there was the word of God. And so why does this matter? Why is this significant? Because whether Jew or Gentile or uh, for us, whether you know new to this whole journey or have been around it for some time, because of Jesus in his own words, in the middle of some prayer and fasting, uh, spiritual fasting, he says, tempted by the devil uh, to essentially turn some gravel into bread, Jesus responds, he says, for it is written in the word of God that man does not live on bread alone, but from what? From every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's the word, it's the word, it's the word. When we believe in the word, when we believe in Jesus Christ as the word who gives us his word as laid out in God's word, the scriptures, it is then and only then we then can live. We can live by his word. We can believe and live. We can believe and live. We can believe in his word and live according to his word. We can believe in the word who is Jesus and live the life that Jesus is leading us to live. Believe that in the beginning was the word. Believe that before creation was the creator, Jesus, the word, that you could say before you were even knit together in your mother's womb, as it says in Psalm 139, that there was the word. That before all things that we face and see and experience, before it all, through it all, in it all, was the word. That before the diagnosis, was the word. Before the transfer was the word. Before the furlough was the word. Before uh, the breakup 
was the word, before the loss was the word, before the depression was the word, before the addiction was the word, before whatever it is that you're up against, before it all, believe and live, there was the word, there is Jesus for you and for me. Because as it says in John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was and is life, and that life, that life was the light of all mankind, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not and will not ever overcome it. I'm hungry, I'm starving, which doesn't seem right. I ate from the tree of this modern day life, drink its luxuries, but I'm unsatisfied. To whom do I turn? I am the bread of life. It's dark, can't see a thing, stumbling, aimlessly roaming. Where am I going? Fear's creeping in and I won't last. Would someone please light this path home? I am the Rage. I can't get away, oh where is my help? I need somewhere safe All the doors are closed, got nowhere to go Would someone please point the way home? I am the Keep your holy standard perfect, it can't I am the resurrection I'm alone, I'm that guy The one the 99 forgot and left behind Where do I go? They're all passing me by This lonely life I am the good shepherd So many paths, to which do I turn? So many options, who can discern? All of the prophets and the law and the like Drying out. I am the branch that fell to the ground, got no seed or fruit to show. Tried so hard to grow all on my own, it didn't work. I am the
just yesterday I was getting some paperwork together for a wedding that I'm officiating this upcoming fall, at least, well, that's the plan as of now. And I was curious, how many weddings had I officiated? How many uh, weddings had I planned? And to date, 27 so far with the uh, 28th planned for the fall. And, and you know how it goes for any plans. It's almost like, especially when it comes to weddings, for any one wedding plan, there are at least, you could say, 10 stories of where that plan didn't go according to plan. Or as you could say, the world-renowned theologian Mike Tyson once said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And I remember one particular blow to a wedding where the best man, apparently needing, you could say, a little liquid confidence to be able to pull off, uh, I guess you could say, the cognitively arduous and physically demanding role and responsibility of standing in one spot and keeping quiet to support his best friend, the groom, who was getting married. Well. That plan for him backfired because with every sip of liquid confidence leading up to the ceremony, he became less and less able to stand in one spot, less and less able to stay quiet. And really, rather than him doing his job of simply just looking toward the, the groom and the bride and just making sure he did his best to be the best man giving the attention where it was due, he was a not-so-best best man uh, as he, you could say, made the event more and more about him. And, and, and really, you could say he just completely missed the point, robbed the point of what a wedding is about in the first place, about the bride and the groom. Well, in the Gospel of John, John the author, uh, he introduces us to another John. You've got, uh, really, so you've got two Johns. You've got John the author of John and then John uh, the Baptist, really the John the Baptizer. He was a baptizer. And so John the author, John the Baptizer. And then picking up our passage in verse six, it says this, that there was a man, John says there was after, you know, the light, verse five, shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse six, there was a man, John the Baptizer, uh, that was sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe and live. Believe in him. It says that he himself was not the light, verse 8, but he came only as a witness to the light. That his job was to direct attention to the light, to the word, to Jesus. And later in John chapter 3, um, John the baptizer, he illustrates this uh, as some of his own followers are leaving him to go and follow Jesus. And so some of John's uh, disciples, his followers, are actually getting frustrated like, hey, all of our team is going over to Jesus. To which John the baptizer essentially says, that's why I'm here. I came to point the way, give attention, draw energy away from me and toward Jesus. He says it this way in John chapter 3, verse 29, he says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom, and the friend, or the best man, is how that can be translated, who attends the bridegroom, uh, the friend who attends, the bridegroom waits and listens for him, and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice, that joy is mine and is now made complete. The joy is mine and is now made complete. He must become greater and I must become less. That that's the attention. That's the intention of the best man, to give all attention to 
the groom. That's what John says. He's like the best man and Jesus is the groom. And my joy is made complete when all attention goes toward Jesus. But in this life, we recognize that for many of us, that it can often be similar to, you could say, the best man who didn't do a very best job at that wedding. That we can get, um, you know, maybe drink in all of life's problems and struggles and then you know, maybe almost get intoxicated with focusing on ourselves and our situations and our relationships and our grades and our careers. And we forget, we forget like that best man who wasn't doing the best job at his job, that we exist to focus our life on Jesus, to give our attention to Jesus, to give uh, our attention to Jesus that we might then show others what it's like to give attention to Jesus. That he is the groom, he is the word, he is the light, not us. You know, I love the way that um, the opening line of the book, The Purpose Driven Life, uh, if you're familiar with it, it was like, it, it's in the 21st century, other than the Bible, uh, the top selling Christian book with more than 30 million copies sold. And I would argue that the best line in the whole book is actually the opening line, uh, where when it comes to, okay, the purpose driven life, what's the purpose of my life? Why am I here? Why am I on the planet? The first four words of that book read this way. You wanna know what your purpose is? The author says, quote, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about, as it says in verse nine in our passage, it says, the true light, the true light that gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. It's all about the light. It's all about Jesus, our life. It finds its purpose, it finds its meaning when we give full attention to the light of Jesus, when we believe in the light of Jesus, when we live in the light of Jesus. You know, the world would say, hey, the light is inside of you. The, the light is inside of each of us. Well, you know, it's an adorable thought, but it's false. You know, the light is not coming from the point of you any more than the best man is a point or the point of a wedding. Jesus is the point. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the bridegroom. And as John the baptizer says in John 3 verse 30, after this illustration about the groom uh, being the focus from the best man's point of view, he says essentially, he must become greater and I must become less. That's it, that I must become less as he becomes greater. And so the question is, how do we make him greater? How do we do that? How do we make Jesus greater in our lives? How do we make the word greater in our lives, the beginning of anything that might begin in our lives? Well, it can only happen by getting the words of God's word in us. And so each week in this series, uh, we wanna believe and live, believe and live. And so what we want to do is make sure we understand what it is that we believe so that we can then live it out. And the only way to do that or I shouldn't say the only way, but the key way to do that is to understand what it is that we are to believe so that we can then live it by actually being in God's word, reading the word for the words that he has for us. I honestly, I don't know how we can make it and grow and make him greater without having the word of God 
in our lives on a regular basis. And so that's how we're gonna live it out this weekend. As we believe and live, believe and live, that the way we're gonna live is focus on what we believe by focusing on his word, by starting uh, this reading plan. And so we're gonna invite you this week to live it out by reading John chapter one and two. John chapter one and two, uh, and to read it and to reread it and to study it and to own it and to internalize it so that you might see that as what we believe will then inform the way we live. And then we'll continue throughout the weeks ahead to give you more uh, as we read through that, the entire gospel of John that we might together as a church, believe and live, believe and live, believe and live.